Let me invite you to take your Bibles, join us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read a fairly lengthy section of Scripture today, 21 verses, chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 21 will be our text. Many of us uh, spent time with family over the last several days, and we did, obviously. And one of the things that uh, always manifests itself when families get together is the transgenerational skills. My, we have three girls. They learn to cook from their mother and their grandmothers, and uh, they serve us well as we gather together the girls all cook well we're thankful for those skills that are passed down let me encourage those of you who can cook to continue to pass down those skills so that we don't have to be dependent upon taco bell for the rest of our lives uh, on and on we had a uh, experience this week on friday we got all of my nine grandchildren together along with some cousins and we had an epic family wiffle ball game and uh, our youngest grandson is two our oldest is going to be 13 in a month and uh, there are varying skills of wiffle ball ability and uh, one of the things that you do with your grandchildren is you say let me show you how to do it and then you hope they copy the right things. They see the right things. They don't see your flaws. We know this as parents. We want very much for our children to grow up and copy us or emulate us or imitate us about the things that we're proud of and hope they are not noticing the things that we're not proud of. Turns out they're noticing all of it, unfortunately. But nonetheless, we understand the principle of imitation as a skill developer. Well, you will want to keep that in mind as we read. Let's read, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. 
But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Admittedly, a long section, but I propose that all of these verses actually tie together with a common theme, and that theme is explicitly stated in verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. So here we are, God the Father and His children are challenged to follow their Father, to imitate their Father like children or want to do, at least for a season in our own uh, realm, our own physical families. But I want you to note that there are three distinct uses of the word walk, and he changes the emphasis, walk in, walk in, walk in, that uh, changes the emphasis following each one. So I want you to note these, and we'll allow these to be the emphases that will help us think about this particular passage. Notice, first of all, in verse 2, we are to walk in love. What does it mean to be an imitator of God? It means to walk in love. If you walk in love, you are truly an imitator of God. Now, admittedly, love is a big subject. Tom T. Hall wrote a song, or sang a song anyway. He loved everything from puppies to grass. If you don't know that country song, you need to get out a little more. So walk is a big, or rather love is a big landscape. There's a lot of things to love and a lot of things that we're supposed to love or we're suggested that are going to be helpful if we do love. And even unbelievers can love to some measure. But this is not what he's talking about. He is very clear that we're to walk in love as Christ loved us. In other words, Christ is our example. So if you follow Christ, you're actually following God. If you follow Christ, you are truly fulfilling this command to be imitators of God. Said another way, how do you prove that you know God? Well, you follow Christ in loving, sacrificially. I want you to note a couple of things about Christ's example here. First of all, he serves us. He says here, verse 1, he Rather, verse 2, he gave himself up for us. He serves us. So, sacrificial love is, in fact, the kind of love that he's alluding to here. Now, the world's definition of love, I love you because, I love you because you are pretty. I love you because you're kind. I love you because you fill in the blank. Or I love you if... I love you if. There's a condition placed on love. I love you if 
you do this for me or if you don't ever do that again, etc. I love you. I love you if or because. This is the way the world loves. This is the way the flesh of man expects to love and be loved. But this is not the way Christ loved you. I remind you, friend, you didn't perform one little bit for Jesus. And he loved you. You didn't meet any expectation. And he loved you. So we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. And he serves us in his love. So the first characteristic of Christian love is that it is a serving love. There's a second component here, though, in verse 2, and that is that it is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, it is offered as a spiritual gift to God. It is offered to God. This language here written by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians is reminiscent of Paul's language in Romans 12, verse 1, where we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. In other words, we are to offer our lives unto God. How do we honor God? Well, we don't bring chickens. We don't bring goats. We don't bring sheep, lambs. We don't bring animals before the Lord. Instead, we bring ourselves before the Lord as we serve others. So we are serving people in the name of the Lord God as unto God. We serve you, you serve us, we serve one another, we serve others because we are Christian and our God has commanded us to follow him, to do as he did and does. Which one of us today would claim that somehow God has loved us but no longer loves us? I trust no one. Because Christ is our example, not only for what he has done, but for what he is doing. The active obedience of Christ in my life is powerful, strong. It is buoying, if you will. It is lifting my, my life, giving me grace moment by moment, day after day. God is serving me through his Son, and we're to walk in love because this is the nature of what it means. We continue to love and love and love and love and love and love and love some more because this is the nature of the way in which we are loved. And I give some illustrations here in this paragraph that may or may not strike you as germane. You may not think, well, if I were going to illustrate love, I, I wouldn't use these words or I wouldn't use these as a, if you will, the opposite, but that's precisely what he does. Notice verse 3, do not allow or but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous 
Ness must not even, interesting there, that phrase, not even be named. It's not, it's not enough to simply say they should not be named, but he, he adds, if you will, the adverb, they must not even be named. Even be named. They should not even be, there should not be a hint of this in our lives or around our lives. It must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, here's our threesome again, sexually immoral or pure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So we're to be imitators of God and walk in love with Christ as our example. That much we know in verses 1 and 2. But now here in verse 3, he begins to juxtapose that against sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. So what is the opposite of Christian love? What are the things that you should not imitate? Well, he gives you three things in verse 3. Then he gives you three more in verse 4 that are different. These uh, words in verse 3, primarily sins of, of, if you will, of the body, sins of the flesh. And the sins in verse 4 primarily sins of the tongue. So you can do things with your body that are not loving, and you can do things with your tongue that are not loving, and you should stay away from all of them. Now this word, this phrase in verse 5, you may be sure that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, covetousness is not going to go to heaven. It's troubling to folks who simply take verses and snatch them out of context and don't pay attention the reality is that uh, the Bible clearly says here in this letter already that we as Christian people used to be this way. Such were some of you, he's already told us in chapter 2. Such were some of you. But you'll note here that he is, he is comparing, and I want you to notice this because it's going to show up again in the next paragraph, He's going to show you in verse 3, he talks about saints. Then then notice down in verse 6, he talks about the sons of disobedience. So he is juxtaposing saints against sons of disobedience. So what characterizes saints? That would be Christian people. Christian people should not have these things named among themselves. They should stay away from sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. They should stay away from filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking. But then there are sons of disobedience who don't mind at all getting involved in these things. And these things characterize their lives. So he's not talking about the incidental flare-up of sin. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the settled pattern of life, the settled disposition of life the way in which a man or woman lives his or her life. You'll note he alludes to fruit in this phrase later, uh, in this section later, uh, verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. 
In other words, what is the fruit that a man's life gives off? If it's sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, if it's filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking, that man is not giving off the fruit of Christ. He is not loving like Christ. So what is the nature of a person's life? He is describing polar opposites here. Saints on the one hand and the sons of disobedience on the other. He's already made it clear that the sons of disobedience are under the wrath of God. We'll say more about that momentarily. Instead, his his encouragement here, the end of verse 4, is let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. You can't help but read the Gospels and consider several words, if you will, to describe Jesus as he relates to God. For instance, Jesus is righteous. We would say that with, with ease. Jesus is holy. We would say that with ease. Jesus is kind. We would say that with ease. We would see these words, and they just sort of jump off the page. We've, we've sort of been, if you will, calibrated in our own heart to understand Jesus in this way. But I would, I would challenge you to go back and reread the Gospels and consider the manner in which Jesus talks to God in his prayer life and look for this issue of thanksgiving. How thankful is Jesus? I want to suggest to you that Jesus is very thankful. Again and again, when Jesus prays, he gives glory to God and thanks God. Read John 17, the so-called high priestly prayer, and you will find that Jesus uses the word thankfulness three or four times, again and again and again and again. Why is that? Because that is the nature of what it means to be a follower of God. We are thankful. We are thankful that we've been spared wrath. We've been thankful that we've been given grace. We've been thankful that we've been given eternal life. We've been thankful that we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been thankful that we've been given all of these earthly blessings, and we've been promised more blessings to come that eye has not seen and that ear has not heard and that the mind has not yet imagined. Let us be thankful. Let us not give attention to this life, to immorality, to impurity, to covetousness. Let us not be found to be walking like that, but rather let us be imitators of God. Then there is a transition in verse 8. You'll see it, therefore, uh, verse 7. There, therefore, don't become partakers with them. Now in verse 8, walk as children of light. So in verse 2, walk in love. Now verse 8, walk in light. We mentioned that he uses this verb, walk, uh, several times. He uses it twice in chapter 4. He uses it once in chapter 2. Now in chapter 5, he uses it three times. Three times. We've already seen in verse 2, walk in love. Now here in verse 8, walk in light. You'll notice there's a transition right there in verse 7. And, and so it's clear he's now going to move from love to light. What does it mean to be an imitator of God? It means to walk in light. Walk in light. Now light and darkness are juxtaposed in the scripture from the beginning. The, the Bible says in the beginning the earth was dark. The, 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 if you will, creation was dark, but God moved across creation as he created, removed across the nothingness of darkness and created. And what did he create? He created forms and substances. And from the beginning, God creates light. 
So he hangs the light for the day and the light for the night in the sky around the earth. And God is, declare, declares it to be good. And from that moment until now, you'll find this theme throughout the Bible of light over against darkness, light over against darkness. And you'll see that pictured again here in the Gospel of John. Let me mention this, John chapter 1. You'll see it uh, very clearly. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. The true light. He's going to, John's going to take great pains in his gospel to make sure that we know that light has come and has come to push back the darkness, to change the darkness, to pierce the darkness, to defeat the darkness. We see that picked up here in Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see another example of this, John chapter 3. If I were to ask you what's the most famous verse that uh, you would probably be familiar with, you'd start with this one, John 3, 16. But don't quit at 16. Please keep reading. Let me read it here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jump ahead, if you will, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John continues this light and darkness, if you will, juxtaposition or alternating between the two. Verse 12 Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Interesting, as John lays out his gospel, in John chapter 8, Jesus is the light of the world. And what is featured in John chapter 9? Jesus heals a man born blind. A man who walks in darkness and has never seen a thing in his entire life. His eyes have never worked. Light has never been a factor in his life. But Jesus takes away the blindness and gives him light. The antidote for darkness is light. Take you back to Ephesians 5, verse 8. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Be imitators of God. What makes God happy? What brings God joy? It is to be imitated. God intends for us to imitate Him. 
Be an imitator of God. Walk in the light. As regards the darkness, verse 11, stay away from it. Take no part, but instead expose them. It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when it's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And when it becomes visible, it is light. And therefore, it says, and you'll note there's a quote here from the Old Testament, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's interesting. This particular quotation is not explicit in the Old Testament. It appears to be a compilation of three passages from Isaiah, primarily Isaiah chapter 60. But you'll note here, arise, O sleeper, or awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He makes no bones about it. He's leaving no opportunity for, for fuzziness. He's not unclear whatsoever. He's not vague. The light that needs to shine on you is Christ. Maybe you're here today, and you've never put your trust in Christ. That means, then, that though you may think you walk in light, you don't. Because the light of God is found in Christ. This is the witness of John 1. This is the witness of John 3. This is the witness of John 8. It is the manifestation of Jesus in John 9 when he heals a man born blind. And now he says in Ephesians chapter 5, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will make that happen. Christ will push back the darkness. Christ will be your light. Christ will shine on you. Christ is the only antidote for our darkness. So we're to walk in love to imitate God. We're to walk in light to imitate God. But there is a, another section, if you will, another walking illustration that's found here in verse 15. And he does the same thing with the transition. Look carefully then. In other words, you're going to make a conclusion. Verse 7, it was therefore. Now in verse 15, it's the conjunction then. Look carefully. Then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's talked about love, walking in love. Now verse Eight, walking in light. Now in verse 15, walking in wisdom. What does it mean to be an imitator of God? It means to walk in wisdom. Notice what he says. Not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. So he's going to contrast wisdom with foolishness. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, let me say this about the will of the Lord. Anytime you use that phrase, particularly with a younger crowd, we have so many college students who are part of our church, and uh, that, I do a Q&A with them every semester. Drew invites me in as the old wise man to come in and answer questions. And so they just pepper me with questions. I can always, always anticipate two questions. How do you know who to marry? And how do you know sort of what to do with the rest of your life? Career, major, you know, job, that kind of thing. I can anticipate those questions. How do you know those two things? Well, that's, that's the big deal when you're 19 years old. 
It's a big deal. It's not, a, it's not an unbig deal when you're 39 years old, but it, it is a really big deal when you're 19 years old. And invariably, I'll quote this passage, the Bible says we can understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, that's true. You can understand what the will of the Lord is so much as the Lord has revealed his will. Give me an illustration. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that God reveals himself to us, but that he keeps the secret things for himself. The secret things for himself. Now this, is, this bugs us because we want to know everything that God knows. But the Bible says you're not going to get to know that. There are things that God is doing right now that you're not going to know until after they've been done. You don't know those things. God is God. He's sovereign. He's king. He's Lord. He's God. You're not. So he keeps secret things for himself, but he's revealed many things to himself, to us, many things, and they have to do primarily with our responsibility. So we read this passage, what do we know about the will of the Lord? Well, we know that we're to be an imitator of him, so as much as he does this, we should do this. As much as he does that, we should do that. So we should be imitators of God. That's the will of the Lord. We know specifically that God sent his son to love us, and he loved us sacrificially, and that was the manner in which, by loving sacrificially, people who don't deserve, perhaps, to be loved, Christ loved us, and we certainly didn't deserve to be loved. By loving sacrificially, we're offering a sacrifice to God. We're actually worshiping God. We're actually offering this to God. So what is the will of the Lord? It is to walk in love as unto God. So how do you do the will of God today. You walk in love in the manner in which you live your life. And you stay away from all these things we just talked about. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, coarse talk, jesting, etc. Stay away from those things. That's the will of the Lord. Then he told us in verse 8, we're to walk in the light. Stay away from the darkness. So those things that are characteristic of darkness, things that are evil, things that are done only in darkness. Many of you were raised by mothers who said nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. Some of you had liberal mothers. Nothing good happens after midnight. As a person who has done many after midnight things, I can tell you nothing good happens after midnight. Darkness is darkness. Darkness hides sin. Things that are committed in darkness one day will be revealed, but until then, they're hidden, and they're hidden because they are shameful. They're hidden because they're wrong. They're hidden because they're evil. They're, they're, hid, they're hidden because they're embarrassing they're hidden because they are not righteous. So stay away from darkness. So what does it mean to follow God? What is the will of the Lord? It is to walk in the light. Here he concludes in verse 15 and says, we are to walk in wisdom and not be foolish. And we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is the will of the Lord? Well, the will of the Lord is... If you want to get married, going to go back to my college student conversation, if you want to get married, then get married. But there are people that you ought not marry. For instance, a believer should marry a believer. So if you're a saint, you don't marry a son of disobedience. Sorry. That's the will of the Lord. So you understand what the will of the Lord is. Do the will of the Lord. You say, well, yeah, but I don't know who that person is. <laughs> well, until the Lord reveals that, neither do I. 
So stop asking me who you should marry. I can give you categories, right? Saints marry saints. Men marry women. Women marry men. I can give you categories. But I, I don't know specifics. Is his name Bill? Is he seven feet tall? Is he five feet tall? I don't know. Nobody knows until the Lord reveals these things. The Lord keeps the secret things to himself. The Lord will reveal. Now, I know that I use this silly illustration. You know, in the old days, we used to, I remember I, I came along when vehicles were transitioning from only domestic. You know, if you didn't buy American, you were, you know, communist or whatever. By the way, I drive a Toyota. Before this one, I drove a Toyota. I'm very proud to drive a Toyota, happy to drive a Toyota. I'm not apologizing for not driving something made in Detroit. This truck was made in Dallas, so I'm real happy with that. But anyway, I, but I came along when I remember Susan's dad, when we were dating in high school, bought a Toyota. My grandfather sold Fords. He was from the dark side, if you know what I mean. When, when her dad brought home a Toyota, I thought, he's so unpatriotic. He's so anti-American. You know, you get this self-righteous attitude when you're 17 years old and you think you know everything. Well, he turns out he's not, and I've come over to his side completely. But I remember that you, you, you had this big debate. Should you buy domestic? Should you buy foreign? Today, I just simply say Ford or Chevy. Should you buy Ford or Chevy? It's a big argument in trucks. My brother used to drive a Ford F-150. He was a Ford man to the bone because our grandfather was a Ford man to the bone. Recently, he bought a Chevrolet, and I said, who has now taken over my brother's body? <laughs> Having said that, I don't know whether God wants you to buy a Ford or a Chevy, but I can give you categories. If it runs, it's better than something that doesn't run. If it's reliable, it's better than something that doesn't, that's not reliable. If it's cheaper, it's better than something that's not cheaper. I can give you categories for buying automobiles, but beyond that, I don't know what the will of God is, whether you should buy Ford or Chevy. I have no idea. And neither does anybody else. So stop asking people. I don't know what God's will is for me here. I don't know if it's God's will for me to buy this house. Well, I can give you some categories. If it's too expensive, don't buy it. Right? You know, if it's in a crime-ridden area, maybe you shouldn't buy it. Maybe you should, so you can go and be light in the darkness. I don't know what the will of the Lord is, but I can give you categories. Well, that's what he's talking about here. He's not giving you specifics. He's giving you, if you will, categories. And he gives an illustration, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's a category. What's the will of God? Here's the will of God. Be filled with the Spirit, and don't be filled with anything else. Now, he could go beyond this. In this case, wine creates a certain problem, drunkenness. Now, there are other things that you can intake that also creates problems. If you're diabetic, don't eat ice cream. Don't, because the intake is going to hurt you or change you or wound you or somehow even destroy you. There are things that God has given us that are wise. This is the category, right? 
walk not as unwise, but as wise. So he's not legislating specifically, but he is creating categories for us to think about what it means to be a follower of God. At the end of the day, here's the deal. Be an imitator of God. Stop walking like the rest of the world. Stop letting the world or the sons of disobedience, or in this category, the foolish, set a compass for your life. Stop doing that. Instead, be imitators of God. Walk in love, walk in the light, walk in wisdom. Don't be fools, don't be sons of disobedience. But instead, he concludes in verse 20, giving thanks. Isn't it funny how again he circles back to thanksgiving? We last heard the word thanksgiving in verse 4, but here it is again. He begins the section and it ends the section by saying, here's what you need to do. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. You know, the one you're supposed to be imitating. And in the name of our Lord Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does it mean to be an imitator of God? Well, it means walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom. That's what it means. And it means you do all of that because Christ has transformed you. He's made you a saint rather than a son of disobedience. He's taken you out of darkness, placed you in the light. He's taken you out of the realm of the fool, and he's made you wise. And because Christ has done all of that, out of reverence to Christ, out of gratitude to God, where to go from here and be imitators of God. We are to trust God, hope in God, worship God, fellowship with God, and we are to live our lives as regards other people in love, in light, and in wisdom. This is what it means to be an imitator of God. I pray the Lord would give us grace to go and do exactly that. Pray with me now. Father, how we thank you for your help here. These words are true. These words are life. These words are food for our souls and wisdom for our minds. And we aspire to be imitators of God. We aspire to do as you do and say as you say, to live as you live, walk as you walk, aspired to be imitators of you. Thank you for Christ who gives us the supreme example. Help us to go and walk as he walked and is walking even now. Give grace to us that we may follow you well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.